0: get your sugar sugar postpartum deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening. Welcome to the Breathful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking about racing anti-racist children. Kids are not born racist, so how do these biases get absorbed, and what can you do to intentionally bring up anti-racist kids? Is it ever too early to start talking about race, and what are some ways to do so with your babies, your toddlers, your kindergartners, and even older children? Dr. Kadira Ali Huff has answers. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, my new parents and parents-to-be. As always, thank you for all the love you give the show and for joining me for this episode of Birthful. Today, we're going to be focusing on a vital and complex issue, which is how to raise anti-racist children. And during pregnancy and early parenting, that's a fantastic time to start doing this work because these are times of great learning for you and one where you are naturally thinking about your impact and your children's impact in the world. As you learn how to be a parent, you can learn to do it in an anti-racist way and model that for your children. Now, the work is certainly going to be more challenging for you than your kids as they are naturally born anti-racists. Give yourself some grace, knowing that it's gonna be an imperfect process but do the work anyway and continue the work. And to lead us in, I want to quote Dr. Aaron Winkler that says that, quote, Despite good intentions, when we fail to talk openly with our children about racial inequity in our society, we are in fact contributing to the development of their racial biases, end quote. So basically, when you are silent about racism, your children learn that it is okay to be racist. And on that note, let's get to it. Welcome, Dr. Kadira. It is so wonderful to have you here on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I'm so excited for our conversation today.
0: And before we jump right into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So my name is Dr. Kadira Ali-Huff, and I am a Washington, D.C.-based pediatrician, as well as lifestyle medicine doc. And I have been really more impassioned about holistic family wellness, and thinking about the different ways in which our health essentially is uh, an outcropping of the world in which we live. And I know this current moment of racial awareness has really brought a lot of of the complexity of our health to the fore for a lot of people. Um, And so that's the type of doctor that I am. Kind of a a broad-based approach, um, public health perspective, um, all with the goal of kids and families living their best, healthiest, longest, happiest lives.
0: Mm, And I truly do appreciate that holistic point of view because everything is connected, right? It really is. We can't separate what we eat from who we are, from our beliefs, like it all ties in and our stress levels and our heritage as well.
1: Absolutely. That's the beauty of this area.
0: Yeah. Um, So in terms of... You know, the topic that we're talking today is raising anti-racist children. I think you mentioned it when you wrote to me that first we've got to start with discussing what does being anti-racist mean? Can you
1: make that distinction for us? I can. I think I love starting with the definition. Um, So one book that I'm going to plug right from the beginning is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram Kendi. And he has a pretty basic, but I think telling definition of what anti-racist really means. So pulling from this book, he says to be anti-racist is to think nothing is behaviorally wrong or right, inferior or superior with any of the racial groups. So when you think about it, it's a pretty basic concept. But when you think how society has taken that concept and it's been disor- distorted, we see how much how much work we have to do as a society. But essentially, it's that everybody's equal, that there's nothing inherently better, or or worse about any racial group.
0: Mm -hmm. And I want us to go deeper into that, because this isn't to say that we don't have our differences. Mm -hmm. It's just that those differences don't make one group better or worse than the other.
1: Precisely, and so as a pediatrician, one of the things that I love about this conversation is the fact that we have an opportunity more than ever to learn how to celebrate our differences. Um, Children are naturally inquisitive, they're very curious about people around them, whether they're the same or different. And so this is a powerful moment for us as parents to take advantage of that natural curiosity and to really be proactive about shaping how they view those differences where um, instead of looking at those differences as areas to maybe feel superior about or to, you know, be um, a topic of bullying, which is very, very prevalent and a big issue. Instead of that, we're flipping that into, wow, we are all so different and all so special in our own ways. Let's talk about it. Let's celebrate it and let's dive in.
0: And. You know, as you were saying, kids are so already curious and picking up on all those differences and is why you get kids asking questions and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. (laughs) And I think that's part of the work as parents that we need to do of not be not shy away from the obvious observation
1: that exactly. the kid made, right? Exactly. And it can be awkward sometimes because kids, they also don't have filters. And so um, it can really the the natural sweet sweetness and innocence and curiosity of children. We can really make that the launchpad to really wonderful in-depth conversations that can grow and evolve over time. But I think that capturing that moment of inquisitiveness on the part of children to say, hey, I see you notice that that person looks different from you. Let's talk about it. Let's, Let's explore why you look different from them or why they look different from you. And I think one key in those conversations is to make it clear that there's really no true default. Because a lot of times, especially in the United States, that default appearance um, from hair to skin to eye color is the white default. And so I think um, this conversation is critical for white children, black children, brown children, children of all colors to know that everybody is perfect and everybody um, really contributes to the quote unquote default. We're all defaults.
0: Mm -hmm. And we know that children are not born racist or anti-racist they're you know they're actually they are born anti-racist they're not born (laughs) racist they don't have any racist belief internalized Mm -hmm. um how does that how do those biases get absorbed and how are things internalized
1: that is such a great question and i think it's it's pretty complicated but i think if you take a step back and look at how Mm -hmm. insidious um racism is it really permeates everything from children's books to television to magazines to toy manufacturers. And when you look at, hey, the predominant, you know, phenotype that I see all around me, or the predominant appearance of the things I see, is white. Then that does kind of um, implicitly set up a hierarchy um, that can build up artificially, you know, um, white children, and it can, you know, kind of subjugate unintentionally children of color. And so I think that's one key place that it can happen. Um, And then other areas where it can happen is in terms of our social groups, not often having um, diverse enough social groups from where we play and live and work, not having opportunities to really have meaningful interactions with people that um, are of diverse backgrounds. That's another area. And then children are quite attuned to the conversations happening around them. And there can be subtle prejudice undertones to conversations and um, all of these different kind of external forces get internalized quite early on. Um, But it all starts by just having a preference for people who look like you um, at very early ages. They can start to, children can start to show that um, racial bias for folks who look like them. And one of the perfect antidotes is really helping our children be exposed to lots of different types of faces and bodies and, you know, ways of living as early on in life as possible.
0: Mm. Right. Because, uh, and I I did look, and I'm going to link it on the show notes, the graphic by the Children's Community School. Yeah. Yeah, which is fantastic. And it touches Mm -hmm. upon different, what ages these patterns start to happen and how to, because I think biologically like that, that pattern recognition right Mm -hmm. of babies looking more at faces that match the race of their caregivers Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that it has to be they they're not looking in a mirror so not necessarily their own faces but the faces of their caregivers it tends to be part of like a biological pattern Mm -hmm. just just patterning to understand the world and so why it is important to be intentional of surroundings and what the kids are being exposed to. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So in that part, is it ever too early to start with some activities to raise and teach racist children?
1: That's another wonderful question. And my short answer is no. Um, I think that it's important to make a distinction between celebrating differences and recognizing the the beauty of all different colors of the rainbow that conversation versus getting into higher level more mature conversations about actual racism and discrimination i think that that should be for you know slightly older children um but for the you know toddler infants toddlers preschool age children it's all about positivity it's all about celebrating differences and that can happen quite easily through books, for instance. I know there's been a lot um, of awareness spread in terms of the importance of having a diverse children's library. Um, That is a wonderful place to start with these conversations. But again, my my emphasis would be on really staying positive and really calling attention to the differences and the characters in the books, um, but in a positive way um, that just Reads a level of curiosity and, um, interest in, in positivity.
0: Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that now we have immense options of books to, of diverse books to read with our children, which, you know, more and more, this is something that's being picked up. And I see more books, um, that weren't necessarily around when my daughter was born. She's fifteen right. now, right? Mm-hmm. And it it hasn't been that long for all lots of books to blossom to provide tools for parents to intentionally um, celebrate those differences, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Uh, I will show link in the show notes some resources for that. But the Conscious Kid has a great list. Exactly. Um, here we, we yeah. Yes.
1: What other series. ones do you know? I know Black Baby Books is another um, account on uh, Instagram that I really enjoy, and The Tiny Activist has a series of books that I also we have in our our personal book collection.
0: Um, mm.
1: But I would also encourage you know looking. You made the point that over the past decade and a half, there's been definitely an explosion in children's literature featuring um, diverse characters, like children protagonists of color and of all other uh, differences. Um, But I would also recommend like digging deep in terms of looking for um, Black authors and who've been around for quite some time as well, um, who have um, showcased children of color. Um, And also thinking about like back in the 60s and 70s, one of our favorite books was, you know, The Snowy Day um, featuring Peter, such a sweet story. And he has a whole series of, of books that feature this sweet little brown boy just going about his day. And um, that's another, uh, one of our personal favorites.
0: Mm. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about a little bit more of what those celebrations can look like and what language we can use, say, for babies versus toddlers versus kindergartners and such. We'll be right back. And we are back talking to Dr. Kadira about raising anti-racist children. So, we have. I I love the point that you made. That it's not just looking at the books, but also going deeper into looking at the authors that created the books, and right. really looking at wh- what your purchase is supporting, um, mm-hmm. just beyond the message of the book. In terms of those celebrations for to celebrate those differences with little kids, right? What are some examples of like, what's some age appropriate language for talking to babies or talking to toddlers and then talking to kindergartners?
1: Sure, so I think um, I can make a personal example. So last night, I have a two and a half year old, we were doing bedtime reading and we were reading a book about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And one of the last few pages of the book featured children of all different colors and they all had shorts and short sleeves and so you could see the color of their legs and arms. And so for her, I made a point of saying this color is beautiful and that color is beautiful and that color is beautiful. They're all beautiful and they're all kind and they're all good um, just the way they are. And you could tell like she was like starting to notice and pay more attention herself to the more fair skinned characters and then the caramel skinned characters and the darker brown characters and noticing, oh, okay, they are different colors and that's cool, they're all good, they're all great. Um, This is something that I'm paying more attention to. And so it can be as simple as that for the the young children, for kids, I would say three and under, um, three to four years and under, it's just calling out those differences proactively in the midst of reading. And it doesn't have to be just skin color, but thinking about hair and, you know, both in terms of styling and color, eye color. Um, and then this is a conversation that really, really extends beyond race and color, obviously, into things like ableism and um, thinking about when books feature kids maybe in a wheelchair versus, you know, those who are able to walk. So calling out all of those differences that we see and making a point of saying, this is just as wonderful as that in terms of appearance and um, inherent value and worth. And so as we move into older children though, I would say to move the conversation into something that's a little bit more personal. So having them maybe call to mind friends Um, Most of the children by that age will be in kindergarten or, you know, are finishing up in daycare. So, thinking about their friends that they might have that might be of different colors or have different differences like, oh, Johnny is taller than you or, you know, Katie has brown skin and aren't they all so cool and they're so pretty and um, things of that nature. Um, But making it also clear that having friends of different shapes and sizes and colors that makes life fun. And so you can start to make it more personal for for children who are slightly older in terms of what value does having people who are of all different appearances add to our lives? It makes our lives more rich, it makes our lives more fun. And so really playing up that aspect for children of a slightly older age, I think makes things a little bit more concrete. And then it also invites the slightly older children to continuing those conversations with you because often around you know 4 to 5 kids start to catch on that hmm i don't know if i'm supposed to be talking about that and so by keeping that conversation open in a very casual and non-threatening way that helps to continue further conversations that will be a lot more nuanced as they get older that yes we can talk about how people look in a kind loving and respectful manner
0: yeah Absolutely. And I think we can also find opportunities for uh, teaching opportunities in lots of other things in these differences. Like now that I'm thinking about differences and thinking of like when my kid was young, at that age, food tends to be such a big part of Mm -hmm. like life that even trying out or, or, Pointing out differences in different cuisines and how that relates to culture
1: um, absolutely
0: can be a delicious way of
1: (laughs) getting them to try new things too. And art is another of our favorites. Um, Once the world reopens post coronavirus, like really taking advantage of children's museums and even art museums to explore, you know, different colors and depictions of people and um, culture in um, a really captivating way whether it's at a children's museum specifically or other um you know kid-friendly museums and areas that can be a wonderful way to open up the world to children to start to notice those really neat differences between people.
0: Mm. Now, you had an Instagram post and mm-hmm. um which is kind of what sparked our getting together and doing this today. Right. And it also asked parents to take a step back and Absolutely you know I think parenting is such a fabulous moment because you're learning it's this growth opportunity where you're learning everything from scratch and your mm-hmm. your your identity has shifted too right you're going from being especially mm-hmm. if it's your first one of being an individual to forever a parent right forever we so mm-hmm. it's a space of transformation and shift where you can introspect into what those beliefs are and what you want to intentionally set for your children but it also is going to require you to do some work um can you speak to what are some preparations or uh, mm-hmm. during pregnancy and even before that that parent new expecting parents can start ho- honing right honing mm-hmm. that muscle to um make it less awkward once they get to having the kid and and teaching the kid to be anti-racist?
1: Absolutely. This is a fantastic question because this is really the origin of it all. Um, Because just as everything that we seek to teach our children along the journey of parenthood, it all really starts with us as the initial model um, for that particular behavior. And so I think I encourage every expectant parent to really start to have these internal dialogues. And like big picture, I would just really emphasize that an anti-racist style of parenting really is founded on being aware of your own starting point um, from a point of bias and prejudice. One of my favorite resources is the implicit association test that you can do online. You just Google implicit association test then you can find a link to it's housed in a Harvard website where their implicit bias tests on a number of different um, features. Color and race are two of them. Um, So I would recommend taking that just for your own purposes to see where am I right now? What's my starting point? So I think that's number one. And then just being comfortable with having a growth mindset, which is really hard, right? Like we get challenged in the world of parenting on so many different fronts. And this is just another really key um, area to know. I'm going to grow, and I'm also going to grow along with my child um, and understanding this is a lifelong journey. Nobody's going to get this right. Like, we're not looking for an A+. I read someone <laughs> right online. Like, this is not a test that we're being graded on. This is a pursuit um, of justice and uh, equality, and this is going to be a lifelong, a lifelong task. And I think having those kind of keys um, at the foundation of the work to be done, will just help the process along. Um, So aside from those things, I would say, you know, doing as much reading as you can, um, having conversations with, you know, your internal circle in terms of places that you might have work to do. Um, I think as the journey of parenting unfolds and, you know, there are opportunities to socialize, whether it's baby groups or story times, being is, i think proactive and thoughtful in terms of what are some new spaces maybe that you can um, occupy where that might open up your social network to allow more diverse social interactions for you as parent but then also for your children Um, because a lot of times of course our children's social world is going to be an extension of our own Um, and so i think parenthood is a really beautiful opportunity to do this work um, in a deliberate way, because there's so many new worlds opening up all at the same time. Um, But you have the ability to kind of engineer, which spaces am I, you know, being proactive about wanting to inhabit? Um, And are those spaces diverse? Is that pushing me to get to know people who are different from me?
0: Mm. And, you know, like we've been saying, being a parent already sets you up for this, because you're probably looking up looking for classes looking for a daycare looking for camps like
1: a lot of opportunities but you have to be attuned to that right because it's very easy to fall back on, like this is my neighborhood and like these are the resources that i already know about maybe from other parent friends or what have you and so it does take an extra length of work to do a little extra research and to you know ask around a little bit more to find opportunities that aren't immediately apparent
0: hmm Right. And that goes back to the talk about how our system is, our culture is set up to where representation of white voices and and visuals um, are more uh, readily
1: available than otherwise. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's part representation and also part our physical world, um, because the United States is still quite siloed in terms of racial groups to a large degree. Um, and so a lot of neighborhoods will be predominantly one thing versus another, either predominantly black or white or Hispanic or what have you. And so um, it does require thinking about how can I step out of you know my five to 10 mile radius if that means I'll have opportunities to have meaningful social interactions with people that are different from me. Mm.
0: Let's take another quick break. When we come back, um, let's dig into other ways that you can, you know, going deeper into that conversation of racing anti-racist kids. We'll be right back. and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. And we are back talking about raising anti-racist children. So what are some other ways that we've talked about um, examining your own biases and doing the work ahead of time and being intentional about how you want to raise your kids and yeah. then making sure you're proactive in talking about the racial differences in positive and joyful ways because kids are going to point them out anyway. Right. <laughs> this is, we're not going to hide that we're different. We're going to celebrate that we're different um, and that everybody is equal in that difference of nothing makes you better than That Those differences don't make somebody better than the other. Um, And we talked about books and expanding your world with that, with art, with food. What are some other ways that you can raise anti-racist children?
1: So another wonderful way is looking at our calendar. So our national holidays represent really wonderful opportunities for critically thinking about who gets celebrated in our country and what those people look like. And the trend that is all too often found is that they're white males or just white figures in history in general. Um, And so every major holiday can be a wonderful learning point to really question that history and learn together as a family the flip side of the predominant stories that are often told. So thinking about, you know, Columbus Day or Thanksgiving, um, really expanding the purview of um you know our understanding of these different holidays and use that as a chance to learn about people of color learn about you know other uh cultural um you know factors that were going on and cultural practices and it's just a wonderful way to learn together so i would say um celebrating together as a family uh, using those national holidays and then as an extension of that really school advocacy is huge um, so our work doesn't end once kids get into school, if anything, we have to be even more critical as parents in terms of what stories are our children being being taught um, and from whose perspective are they being taught? And all too often, again, it's the, the white predominant narrative. And so um, showing up in school to make sure as much as possible that we have diverse narratives being, being shared um, and interwoven ideally throughout the school year um, most times at this point, we have these siloed cultural history months, whether it's Black History Month, they're thinking about Latin mm-hmm. Hi- Awareness Week. Um, but ideally, we want these stories to be be woven in. And I think having a strong parental advocacy voice um, really helps to move things along. It's not easy because schools, you know, definitely there are a lot of loopholes to jump, to jump through. But I think that showing up and being aware that this is important, that's the first most important step.
0: Mm. And I think even going beyond that, like, yes, and <laughs> mm-hmm. of going to the administrators and asking, yeah. you know, what's your curriculum and what are you representing and how you're teaching it? Because sometimes it's not just just teaching it. It's how you're teaching it. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, I remember we had a very unfortunate situation Just this conversation with you just brought that to mind. Um, Mm -hmm. A a very unfortunate conversation when my daughter was young and in her school, part of the curriculum, they were teaching about Ruby Bridges, who was the first black child to desegregate an all-white school in Louisiana. And how the conversation was shaped because the teachers didn't have the skills ended up being a narrate a narrative where the uh, brown and, and black kids um and indigenous kids ended up feeling and this was i think in second or third grade so right they were mm-hmm. young very young right um and they ended up feeling that it was you know almost like it was thanks to white people that they were so lucky Mm. that they got to go to school. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And oh, boy, was that a wrong message, right?
1: For them to take very, very harmful for everybody in the classroom. Um, I think that that's such a, a telling story. And it really gets at Yeah, having a strong sense in terms of what is being taught from whose perspective and The the realization that this is going to be good for everybody to have an accurate and more nuanced view of history and where we all fit into it. It's so important. It's so important.
0: Right. And making sure that, yeah, that that the teachers themselves have Mm -hmm. been taught an anti-racist lens in order so that they can teach as well.
1: And I think that gets at two issues. One is the importance of having the actual factual curriculum, like what are the facts, quote unquote, that we're seeking to impart to children, but then also having this like undercurrent of anti-racism be a part of just business as usual in schools across this country. And I think that this moment will hopefully push the needle in that direction where pretty much every domain where humans interact, There needs to be anti-racist training and implicit bias training conducted and repeated on a regular basis, because it's these thought processes are most times unintentional and quite insidious. And so, I think refreshing that training um, to build continuously build awareness is very important, especially in the educational system, where again, like you're forming minds, you're helping to form children's conceptions of themselves. Like this is really precious work being done and so it's, it's imperative that people have a sense in terms of their own biases and how they're contributing and also the 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 deficits in the curriculum.
0: Mm. And knowing that it's going to require changing the system completely, right? Because Absolutely. I heard a, uh, some, there's been so many conversations in these past few days, but yesterday there was, I heard a beautiful quote that was, it's not that the system is broken, the system is doing exactly what it was intended to do. Mm. It Absolutely. was set up that way. It we was. need to, you know, we need to find a new system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think if schools can approach it that way, and if as parents, we demand that schools Demands. step up and approach it that way, that they have to not go into, you know, well, this is, I've been teaching this for 20 years and this is how I teach it. Yeah. Right. It, it, you're going to have to create new curriculum.
1: I agree. Like the parent voice is is going to be a really key factor here, for sure. And taxpayers in general.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's um, we had mentioned this this topic, or you had you had mentioned this this point also in your Instagram post of like how important it is to speak out against yeah. discrimination.
1: It really is because again, like most most of not most, because again we know racism exists on many different levels, interpersonal, more structural, um, in other levels as well. But on that interpersonal level, we have so much power to really help people question um, critically how they're perpetuating racist thought and um, ideology. And so this is something that we can all do as individuals is, is, as we are starting to look at the world from a, a more anti-racist critical lens, really not hesitating to call out in a respectful way, in a compassionate way, but calling out prejudice and racism when we see it. And this is going to help to stimulate a lot of uncomfortable conversations, but that's where we all grow from having these uncomfortable conversations. And one thing I mentioned was the importance of modeling for children. No, I'm not advocating for having contentious arguments in front of children, but I think it's important as we help to empower our children to do the same thing as they grow and evolve, is don't be afraid to use your voice for good and don't be afraid to call out when things are are racist, essentially. Um, And this is a a really wonderful value that we would want to instill in our children in terms of standing up for what's right and justice and respect. These are some of the most fundamental values that I'm sure most of us want to impart to our children. And so where does it start? It starts with us. It definitely starts with us, with friends and family, Um, and even outside of like our personal realm Thinking about how we can advocate in our professional worlds as well, um, when opportunities present themselves to use our platforms, whatever they may be, to speak out um, and to speak up for anti-racist policies and and programming.
0: Mm. And I find that in that conversations, I think about all the changes that have happened in the recent, you know, the past ten years or so around bullying and anti-bullying. Yes. Right. That yes. is requiring a change of mindset and mm-hmm. we have asked our children and, uh, and, and ourselves as parents to do a lot of these same action steps of
1: you
0: when you see it, call it out, you know, mm-hmm. don't tolerate it, but be kind at the same time. You're not going to create more antagonism, exactly. but also don't just accept things. And exactly. because you might be afraid or because you don't want to ruffle feathers.
1: Exactly. And I think that, you know, with the bullying conversation, it really has helped to spur this concept that being a bystander is still kind of contributing as well. And um, because you haven't chosen to speak up and use your voice to um, advocate for the person who um, harm is being wielded against. So it's the same concept for, you know, being racist versus anti-racist. Is that like ideally, no one should be striving to be in the middle of that, like there is kind of no middle ground in all actuality, because you're either using your voice and um, your tools and skills to advocate for racial equity, um, or you're not, Um, in which case that's helping to further this system that is doing a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough, that's a tough one to really, to swallow and make peace with. But that's a really important distinction as folks begin to do this work is that we're aiming really to be staunchly anti-racist.
0: Yeah, and knowing that it's gonna be uncomfortable and it's gonna be difficult and it might be scary and do it anyway.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and you know, to that point, one thing I really like to emphasize is that being able to decide whether or not to have these conversations is a byproduct of white privilege. Um, And a byproduct of being in a society where, you know, white, um, white sensibilities are being catered to largely. Um, And, you know, thinking about the flip side is that black families and other families of color don't have the chance to shield their children after certain ages to these forces. And these conversations that are uncomfortable, that are heart wrenching, that are heartbreaking are forced to happen at much earlier ages than any parent would ever wanna have to have with their child. So just keeping that in mind that being able to deliberate in terms of do I wanna have this conversation or this is awkward or I'm uncomfortable, realize that black parents and families have been living in this pretty much continuous state of discomfort um, for a very long time. And so as this tide continues to, to push forward just realizing that we're all in this together and that each of us as parents has a tremendous role to play in terms of um, just creating a more just and kind, loving, respectful, anti-racist world, which starts one conversation at a time.
0: hmm Dr. Kadira, if people are like, oh, I already have a four-year-old and a 3 we haven't had these conversations, I should have started earlier, like, uh, what
1: okay. What do you say to those to those parents? Uh- I say it's okay. And don't beat yourself up. The fact that you're having, um, you know, these thoughts and feelings right now, that's perfect. That's a great place to start. And I would just say, start where you are and start small. This is a a marathon. This is definitely not a sprint. But the most important thing is don't let your discomfort be greater than your desire to really see this work through. And so if your child is four, five, six, seven, eight, it's never too late. Um, because the example that you will set by being proactive and opening up these conversations, that's going to totally shift so much, um, moving forward in these dialogues. And I think that kids at pretty much every age up until (laughs) adolescence, where you can't really tell them much, they really (laughs) look to us for our leads and even arguably men, they're still looking to us for our leadership, right? It's parents. And so um, having the courage to open up those doors, especially when children are a little bit older and have started to formulate their own viewpoints on these things, that takes courage and that will, you know, give your child the space to be comfortable to to engage with you. Um, And I would also say if your child is on the older, you know, quote unquote older side, start by having them like share, what do they know? Like what is their understanding in terms of race and what is race and what are racial differences like have them share what they know as a starting point for the conversation and then kind of take it from there but don't feel bad about where you're starting from the key is that you're starting and that's amazing Mm
0: -hmm. and I find even that by If you have older kids and you're realizing biases in yourself and you're doing the work right of growing, mm-hmm. talking to them about that. It's like, oh, I used to think this and now I've just learned that, you know, I'm ashamed that I used to do that or think this or I'm reconsidering, you know, these beliefs. That can also teach your kids how the value of processes and changing and and flexing that muscle of curiosity and constant Mm -hmm. introspection, constantly checking in right and questioning things around you.
1: I think that's a beautiful example. And that's such a transferable skill that will have positive impacts in every aspect of life, being a lifelong learner, being a person who's, um, you know, consistently questioning and seeking to learn like that's, that's, the ultimate example, I think a parent can, can, can make for their child. So I think that's great.
0: Mm, Provide them with those skills. Mm -hmm. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Was there anything that you wanted to make sure the mighty parents out there knew about that we haven't yet gotten to?
1: Yeah. So the last point I would, I would want to make in terms of ways to kind of broaden our, our general worlds is thinking about how we spend our money as well and um, the power of patronizing Black-owned businesses and businesses owned by other people of color. And it can be really wonderful from a number of perspectives. Like one is you're seeking to really build up other communities that have been, you know, really systemically overlooked um, for years and years with our money. That's powerful. And then also it's another really wonderful way in terms of like expanding your social network if those businesses happen to exist outside of your normal radius and that can open up lots of cool interactions between you know your family and um families of different backgrounds like that can be another wonderful organic way um to expand our normal worlds so i would say look into black owned businesses and I think parenthood opens up, especially early parenthood. There's a lot of purchases made a lot of times. Oh and my so God, so about, many purchases, <laughs> so many, of which we don't actually need. I've been there. Um, but thinking about how you can use that moment when you are, you know, spending more money than usual, how you can spend some of that with with diverse businesses, I think that that's another really uh, relatively easy but meaningful way um, to engage. And as we close. As we close, I think takeaway points, would you like me to share a couple? Yeah, please. Okay, so I would say just as we close, one of my biggest takeaways is we're different. There are these social constructs known as races and that for our children and for ourselves, we should be celebrating those differences, right? And um, this whole journey of becoming anti-racist is gonna require every single individual to choose every day to think and act and advocate for racial equity, okay? So just this idea that this is a journey and this is a journey that all of us um, are challenged to take and that it's a journey of a lifetime. And it really stems from having this commitment to building a more just and compassionate and loving and respectful world for our children and to do what we can to grow children who espouse those values um so that again the next generation will have it a lot easier often than we have it and um i would say just lastly like this journey is going to be imperfect and it's going to be uncomfortable um but it does require that we proactively go there anyway um because again if we don't face this with a lot of um Deliberateness and conscientiousness, then the world is going to fill in the gaps for our kids, and we don't want that.
0: Mm-hmm. Very well said. I love those takeaway points. Um, Dr. Kadira, if people want to connect with you or follow what you do, where can they do that?
1: Thank you. So I am pretty active on Instagram, and so um, viewers or listeners are welcome to follow me on at Kadira Huff, MD on Instagram and I am building a lifestyle wellness platform for families called Sprouting Wellness and that's linked through my Kadira Huffin D Instagram account.
0: And because they're listening and not
1: necessarily reading it, can you spell your name? Sure. So my first name is Q, I think Queen A D I R A H U F F M D. Um, And so that's my Instagram handle at So That's the best way to find me these days.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so very much for this conversation. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. This was wonderful.
0: Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is By Vase by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Sabrisky. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. And here is what Dr. Kadira had for breakfast.
1: So I actually ended up having a late breakfast, more like brunch. So I had chili and cornbread and kale salad.
0: I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2020 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening.